Well, after a long run of consecutive Sundays of preaching, this last weekend, it was Thanksgiving, I took a, I took a weekend off. And uh, so when I shared with our girls that daddy would be home on Sunday, one of them with great excitement said, then you can sit with us at home and watch yourself preach on TV. <laughs> Actually, sweetheart, I don't think it works that way. Well, I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving, and uh, uh, we all look a little bigger, don't we, today? Um, but uh, we got a month to work it off here. So if you're on cam- uh, online or if you're here at our campus, I just want to say thank you for joining us here in December. We've made it to December, and here at, at, uh, at Bethel, we are celebrating the advent of Jesus, the coming of Jesus. Throughout this month, all of the messages and the focus is going to be on the incarnation of of Jesus Christ. And, of course, churches around the world are doing uh, the very same thing. And uh, you think, well, haven't we done this before? Yes, we've done this, you know, for our church has been here over 80 years. And year after year, we think about the incarnation of Jesus. And there's so many facets about his coming that you can just focus on. We could talk about... Uh, the wonders of the virgin birth. We could reflect on the mystery of how God became man. We could uh, consider the story itself and the details of Mary and Joseph and them going to Bethlehem and the events surrounding uh, the coming of Jesus. And these and many other things are all different, like a diamond, different little facets that you can look at the incarnation of Jesus through. Well, this year we are considering Jesus' coming as a gift, the coming of Jesus as a gift. You know, Christmas tends to be about gifts, a lot of things about about gifts. We don't talk about Jesus as that gift. And to answer the question today, a gift for who and a gift from who? Who gave the gift and who is the recipients of the gift? Jesus as God's gift to us. And we're going to get there uh, today through the story as Luke tells us in Luke chapter 2. You know, we have four gospels. Two of them give details of, of the birth, the birth narrative. Two of them, you know, Mark ignores it. John gives the theological meaning of it in John 1. But Luke uh, writes a kind of uh, detailed history. And we're going to look at it today from Luke chapter, chapter 2. And so I begin now. In, uh, in telling the story. These will be very familiar words. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger." because there was no room for them in the inn. 
Now, many of you could have probably quoted that with me as I read that. We've uh, heard it for so many years. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know this story. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. I'm currently actually reading a biography about this Caesar Augustus. And to understand what it meant to become the emperor of Rome, it's an amazing story. Uh, You want to talk about backstabbing, like literally backstabbing, and political intrigue and drama and murder and all these things. If you, if, and I'm not done with the book, but the parts that I've read already, it's, it makes like our presidential politics in America look tame compared to what these guys were doing with their armies and taking over and killing off the, the rivals. It took a lot of savvy to become the emperor of Rome. And it took a lot of money to run Rome. Just like today, governments back then, they got their money by taxation. Now, at least we don't have to return to our hometown to do so. I mean, imagine if that edict went out, the griping on social media, that everybody has to go back to their hometown. Nobody would really be very excited about that, except the grandmas who would love the people to come back to the hometown and see them. So the, the, the global context for the birth of Jesus certainly doesn't feel like generosity and a spirit of giving. No, this is about imperial Roman greed. This is about less about giving and much more about taking. And as one commentator said, in Rome there was no taxation without registration. And so off go Mary and Joseph to their famous Uh, legacy hometown of Joseph in particular, Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Now there are important details here that we need to know. Joseph here is going to the city of David. And it's noted here, why did Joseph, of all the towns he couldn't have gone to, or just staying up there in Nazareth, why did he go to Bethlehem? And lo and behold, we come to find out that he is royalty. Or at least he's in the line of royalty. Now, unlike the royal family in England, they had no gilded carriage that took them from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. They were doing this by foot. I know many of you are convinced there was a donkey involved somehow. We actually have no idea if there was or not, but certainly there was a lot of walking. And Mary, it says here, his betrothed is great with child. Now, we know from Luke 1 that Gabriel the messenger angel, had come to Mary and had told her, hey, you are going to give birth to somebody so incredibly special and in such an unbelievable way that you are going to give birth to the Messiah. And this is not going to involve Joseph or any other man. The power of God is going to come upon you. This miraculous conception. We call it the virgin birth, but technically we should celebrate the the virgin conception because that is indeed the miracle that God enacted within Mary's womb. Now Joseph had his own angelic visitation. Matthew tells us this because uh, Joseph had uh, certain maybe doubts about the story that Mary was uh, sharing with him about where her pregnancy had actually come from. That, uh, That when she said it was from God, like any sane man, you might sort of wonder about that story, would you not? And so God 
uh, condescending to, to Joseph, sends Gabriel and indeed verifies the story that Mary had said regarding this baby. And we can see in this that Joseph had accepted it because we don't tend to travel with people we don't like, right? And so here he is, and there's Mary, and they're on their way to Bethlehem. Now, there are many other story uh, details here that we could highlight, but for the purpose of this message, we are focusing on Jesus as a gift. And it's what the angels say that indicate the real nature of the gift of Jesus. And the story goes on now to the, to the night of his birth. It says, and in the same region there were the famous shepherds who were in the fields. What were they doing? They were keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Have you heard this part of the story before? If you hadn't, you'd be like, well, this is amazing, isn't it? Angels appeared to shepherds who were looking over their sheep. So let's walk through this cast of characters here a moment. Let's talk with the sheep. I'll talk about the sheep first. So here you have a bunch of sheep. And if you've been over to, uh, to Israel, this is to this day, not uncommon to see a bunch of sheep. These were sheep in Bethlehem, which was located very close to Jerusalem. These were likely sheep that were being uh, grown and groomed to be sacrificed at the temple. They were being watched over by the shepherds. Now, these are the famous shepherds. Maybe you grew up and you were part of a kid's program and you got to play the shepherds. And if you did, you thought that was awesome, right? We all know about these shepherds. They're, they're like iconic at this point. Now, here's the irony of it is that shepherds in that day were not really admired. They were not iconic. They were actually the scum of society, the shepherds. They were the, the bottom of the barrel in terms of the, of the social ladder of, uh, of Israel at that time. As a class, they were notorious thieves. I read one guy who said uh, they, they, they confused thine with mine. <laughs> the five-finger discount. This is what the, these guys were famous for as they kind of traveled around. And so if you saw shepherds, you kind of quick, where's my billfold, right? Hold on to the purse a little tighter because these guys never know what kind of conniving, sneaky thing that they're going to do. Because they watched over sheep, and this is a daily thing, they were not, they didn't go to temple worship. And, you know, when you don't go to church, people kind of wonder about how spiritual you are. You online should be thinking about that. So these are the bottom of the barrel societal type people. Which is to say, they were the last people that you would expect that God would first announce the birth of the Son of God to. And the last that you'd expect to be the very first who get to seek out Jesus. Long before you sought out Jesus, 
as a savior in your life. There were these shepherds who sought out Jesus to see if what the angels said was true. Now again, we ask the question, why Gabriel? Why announce to shepherds? And if you continue to read through Luke or any of the gospels, you get a hint as to why God sent the angels to the shepherds. Because over and over and over again, for Jesus, who is it in society that he is drawn to? Who is it in society that is drawn to him? It's not the high and the mighty, it's the low and the meek. For every Nicodemus, you've got tons of tax collectors and prostitutes and others that they find in Jesus somebody that, that understands them. And they, the, the truths that he's teaching, they're drawn in their hearts to him. In other words, from the beginning, Jesus came for those that are low in society. And I think the reason for that is that there's, there's no way that you can read this story and and look at it and say, well, maybe Jesus didn't come for me. Like, let's say that he had gone to Jerusalem and he appeared, you know, the angels appeared to King Herod and the religious leaders and the Pharisees, but never appeared to anybody else. You could assume that Christ was for the, for the powerful and Christ came for the influential. But he came to shepherds. And now for all these centuries, you look at that and you say, well, if he came for the shepherds, then maybe he came for me. If his grace is included with the shepherds, then maybe his grace is included for somebody like me. Because I can't relate to King Herod, but we can all relate to the shepherds in one way or another. Isn't that a wonderful truth in the story here? He came for the shepherds. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly with the angels there is a heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Here we have what I want our focus to be today is Jesus as a gift, okay? Jesus is a gift. You might not get that in the story of them walking all the way to Bethlehem, and you may not even pick it up in the fact that he is uh, a lineage of David, but you can't read what the angels say and who they say it to and not realize what a precious gift Jesus is. Now imagine with me for a moment, suddenly an angel shows up to you. Let's say that you get home from church today or tonight at some point, all of a sudden, boom, there's an angel. What do you think inside? Am I in trouble? <laughs> right? It's kind of like when the principal would peek in and say, Mrs. Jones, could I speak to the class a moment? Everyone's like, Ugh, right? The principal is here. There is, there is authority here. Am I in trouble? The shepherds here probably similarly they see this and they are, they are terrified. And so what are the first things that the angels say? They say, don't be afraid. What I am about to tell you, this is not bad news. This is good news. In fact, the word there that they use is a word that, that it's the same word as, as gospel. Okay, gospel. We talk about the gospel. What does gospel mean? Gospel means good news. And who doesn't love Good news. In a sense, they're saying this. I bring you gospel. 
In a way, they foreshadow every pastor or missionary or evangelist or anybody that has ever shared Jesus to anybody. These angels foreshadow, I'm here to share good news with you. And this is what, in a sense, the church is in the world. It is a outpost of the declaration of the good news of Jesus Christ. And the angels are the first ones to do it. Notice they say, of great joy. This is news of great joy. Maybe we say this is great news. What what is the greatest news of all time? Jesus has come. And the angels declare it to those shepherds. Notice what they say, unto you is born this day. Have you ever thought that language a little strange? Like, if I came to you and said, unto you is born this day a, a baby, how would you, what would you think about that? If you're a senior here, you'd faint, right? <laughs> I'm too old for that kind of thing anymore. You might say, wait a second, how's a baby born to me? How's a baby born to shepherds? Presumably, they're all men. They're obviously not pregnant. How is a baby born to all humanity? And what we see is here that he is not born to us in terms of progeny. He is born to us as God's gift. And the angel makes this clear by explaining just who this baby is. Notice the three titles. Savior, Christ, and Lord. They say that baby over there in Bethlehem, lying in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, is Savior, Christ, and Lord. What does that mean? Savior. This term Savior. Matthew tells us that the angel told Joseph what this child's name would be. Now, I don't know what you did when you went around naming your kids or these families that we had up here, how you go about deciding, you know, what, what name you're going to give to your child. That was one of the things when we had our first daughter. I, was, I, I never really thought about what an important thing it is to name your child, you know, and suddenly we had this pressure on us, like this is the name she's going to have forever, or he, we didn't know. Maybe it, you, you run through the books of names, and you want to pick something that's going to be I don't know, maybe um, a blessing to them or say something family-wise or faith-wise or whatever. Names are important. Well, as important as names are to us in biblical times, they were even more significant. You might remember when John, uh, uh, when, when, uh, John the Baptist uh, was born, uh, his parents gave him the name John, and all the family members were there scratching their head going, John, do you know a John in the family? I don't remember any John in the family tree. Why have you named him John? Well, for the same reason that Jesus was named Jesus, God told him, right? God told them that Jesus was to be his name. What does the name Jesus mean? It means Savior. Unto you is born this day a Jesus. Unto you is born this day a Savior. Which makes us ask the question, well, in what way is this child a savior? And obviously, not in the way that people expected. Even this nativity story shows the context of the day that they were living in. You think about the day that we're living in, right? Culturally, we've got, you know, we've got uh, COVID, and we've got politics going crazy, and we've got all this other stuff happening, and it shapes really the way that people think about things. Well, back then, the world that they were living in was a world that was dominated by the uh, imperial power of Rome. 
And in that day, people were very much looking for a savior. What kind of savior? They were looking for a political savior. They wanted somebody to get this boo to Rome off of us. They wanted a political salvation. Others we know were looking for an ethical savior, someone to save them from all of this uh, injustice that's in the world being inflicted upon them. We know that many people wanted a, a, a healing Messiah, all the physical suffering. You know, you read the stories of, of Jesus later in his life, and it says everybody in the countryside brought anybody that had an ailment, an ache, a pain, something like that. There they were by the thousands. There were so many people. They wanted, they wanted a, a physical salvation, a healing. And of course, we know the holy heart of Jesus cares about all of these cries of humanity. But that is not what the angel said here. They, he, he didn't say, unto you is born this day an amazing politician. Unto you is born this day a revolutionary. Unto you is born this day a healer. No, none of those things. The good news is that unto us is born a savior. A savior. Who is Christ the Lord. This savior who will save his people from their sins. I say that's a good gift. How about you? Savior, Christ, is the second thing they highlight. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. And even these shepherds, they haven't been in church for how, how long? No, that would have jumped out to them. That word is the word for the anointed one, that Old Testament imagery of the Messiah, the long prophesied, the long awaited one who would come, the son of David, the hope of Israel, the root of Jesse, all of these things. This child, the angel says, is that guy, that long awaited Christ. And then third, Lord, okay? Lord. It's the third mention of Lord in this little passage. In verse nine it says, it was the angel of the Lord who appeared. In verse 10, it was the glory of the Lord that lit the sky. And here in verse 11, it is the angel of the Lord lit by the glory of the Lord that declares the birth of the Lord over there in Bethlehem. And Lord, is a, this is a term of exalted position. This is a statement of authority. This is an identity of this child. And the irony here is, is intended to be shocking. In a manger, in swaddling clothes, is the Lord of Lords. Wonder upon wonder, how can this be? How can somebody of such glory have as his throne a feeding trough, no doubt used that morning with the domesticated animals. How can this one who created the galaxies and holds them together by the power of his might, how can he be laying in swaddling clothes in a feeding trough? I mean, this is part of what creates the wonder when properly understood of what Christmas means. It's shocking and wonderful. He is our gift, Savior, Christ, Lord. Now, are, are, are these three gifts from God? 
or one gift from God. I think about the gift of my wife, for example. You could come up to me, maybe if you didn't know me, and you could say, hey, are you married to an encourager? I'd say yes. Are you, are you married to a helpmate? I'd say yes. Are you married to a companion? I'd say yes. So, Pastor Steve, you are a polygamist, married to three different women, a helpmate, a companion, and an encourager. Does the church leadership know about this? Now, is that right? And you know where I'm going with this, of course, right? My wife, my precious wife, is a gift from God. I have one wife, and she is simultaneously an encouragement to me, a helpmate to me, and a companion to me. And it may sound like God gave me three wives, but in reality, he gave me one wife who is all three of those things. And God's gift of Jesus to us is like that. He is God's greatest gift that he has ever given us. And and you know what? If he was only one of those three, he would still be the greatest gift that any of us have ever received. If he was just the Savior, if he was just the Christ, if he was just the Lord, what, a, what gift could match any of those one things? But we have in Jesus not one of those three. We have all three of those in one. And so much more. This precious Jesus, God's gift to us. So, the story, we've done that a little bit. The gift, Savior Christ Lord. The question now is for who is this precious gift given? And we go back to the text now, and I want you to note the pronouns. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring who? You, good news, of great joy that will be for who? All the people. For unto who? You is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for who? You. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger right over there in Bethlehem. As we have seen in our series in Romans, the answer to the question of why Jesus came into the world is actually a a question with a whole bunch of right answers to it. We could say that Jesus came into the world to defeat Satan. We could say that Jesus came into the world to conquer sin. We could say that Jesus came into the world in obedience to the Father. We could say that Jesus came into the world to bring glory to the Father. We could give a number of reasons that he came, and all of those would be right. But none of those are the things that the angels highlight. What do the angels want those shepherds and through Scripture for us even here today to hear and to realize about who Jesus came for. There is a baby who his identity is Savior Christ and Lord. He is lying in a manger, but what you need to realize is that he has been born unto you, shepherds, and all humanity. He has been born unto you, he has been born for you, and he has been born for all the people. And in this, they are echoing the famous uh, prophecy of Isaiah chapter nine. Listen to these words. For to 
Who? Us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Have you ever looked at Christmas from this perspective? That this Jesus, from the very beginning, the words of the angels, the emphasis is that he has come for us. He has come to us. He is God's greatest gift to us ever. To us a child, to us a son. And it seems to me that this is where so many people miss the purpose of Christmas and really the larger purpose of the actual gospel of Jesus Christ. Because there is inherent in the human heart this uh, I don't know if it's a desire, this inclination to believe that all gifts are transactional gifts. Do you know what I'm talking about? So there you are at work, and, and lo and behold, a coworker surprises you and gives you a gift for Christmas. What do you immediately think? How nice is this that they gave me this gift? No, you think, oh man, I gotta give him a gift now, right? <laughs> I wouldn't plan on giving him a gift, but now since he's given me a gift, we've gotta have this transactional relationship where I can't have a gift from somebody that I'm not giving them a gift because that, that just won't go, right? And so many other ways, when it comes to our faith, we get transactional with God and we refuse to believe that salvation or Jesus coming is actually a gift. It is this sort of, I give you something, you give me something. Now, this week, praise God for young daughters because I get so many sermon illustrations from them. And you'll have to forgive me. Eventually they'll be old and I won't use them anymore. But right now they're so cute and so filled with sermon illustrations and I kind of like talking about them. So this week my, my seven-year-old daughter uh, got, a, got a sticky note out and put it, wrote it out and put it on my desk in my, at, my, at my home. And I want to share that with you here. Here's the note. I love you, Daddy. I wish we could do something fun today but not playing outside, like drinking hot chocolate. If you do, thank you. I love you, Dad. Notice the picture, hot chocolate. Now there are a couple of different ways I could read that note. Look at my daughter, she loves me. She repeated it two or three times in the note. This is a note where she is wanting simply to say to her father how much she loves him. I could read it that way, but I would be wrong, right? I would be wrong. Because what lies behind the motive of this note? Is it that her father realizes the deep affection that she has uh, for, for me in her heart, even though I'm sure that she does? No, what is, the mo what is the goal of this note? She wants hot chocolate, right? And she had to think, now how could I get some hot chocolate today? How about if I tell my daddy I love him, and I love him, and I love him? And then I happen to mention that I want some hot chocolate. I think maybe the net result of this would be that I would, i get some hot chocolate out of this deal. And just in case he's not sure what hot chocolate is, I'll draw a picture. This is human nature. 
In fact, I said to Jennifer, I showed her the note, I go, boy, they start young with this manipulation thing, don't they? The kids watching right now are like, that's a great idea. But this is human nature, and it is a great stumbling block for many people to receive what is the one saving gospel. And our, our relationship with God cannot be transactional. You wanna know why? God doesn't need anything. God doesn't need us. God doesn't need our affection. God doesn't need our worship. He has no needs whatsoever. And so when human beings kind of get this like transactional thing going with God, it sounds like this. If you were to ask the average person, when you die, are you going to heaven? And if they are even mildly religious, they will probably say, well, yes, I, I do believe that I'm going to heaven. And if you say, well, why do you think that, God is go or that you're gonna go to heaven? The answer to that question determines whether they believe in a gospel that actually saves them or not. In fact, you might be asking yourself right now, how would you answer that question? Because if the answer is, because I have blank, fill in the blank here. I have lived a moral life. I have given to the poor. I'm better than most people I know. Whatever you would put into that blank, hot chocolate, is saying, if I give my heavenly father what he wants, then he's gonna give me what I want, and what human beings really want is we wanna know that we're gonna live forever. And we wanna know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. And so there are entire churches and denominations and people that have that even call themselves, they, they, they use the term Christianity, but their approach to the gospel is not that I am receiving a gift that is non-transactional. Their whole approach is, I am going to give God something that he wants, and that he is going to give me something that I want. And these angels would say to that, no, this is, this is a gift this is a monodirectional act of love from a sovereign God. This is something that God is giving to you unconditionally. I am giving you Jesus unconditionally. This is from God to you. And by the way, not because of who you are or what you have done or your standing in society. You can almost imagine the Trinity talking about this and saying, okay, how can we convince humanity that, that, that this gift has nothing to do with who they are or what they've done? And they thought about it and they said, let's send the angels to shepherds. Because if this is a gift for shepherds, then it's a gift for everybody else as well. Or to say it this way, if salvation is transactional with God, shepherds have no hope. But if salvation is a gift, then even the low-life shepherds can receive it from God. And that salvation is not based on what they've done because what they've done is bad things. Here's how the Apostle Paul explains it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works, 
so that no one can boast. Today, you may have no hope that you would ever be saved from the wrath of God or your guilt of your sins or that you would be saved unto eternal life and saved unto heaven if this is a transaction with God. But what if it is a free gift offered by a sovereign, loving, holy God to any human being who received this gift of Jesus, Savior, Christ, and Lord, not as a transaction, but by faith. Because that's the gospel. And indeed, this is what makes it such great news. None of us have any hope to be saved if it's based on a transaction with God, but if it's a gift, if it's a one-way act of a sovereign, the sovereign love and the sovereign grace of a sovereign God to sinners like you and me, I mean, imagine these, these shepherds. They, they hear this. They say, let's go check this thing out. And they off they go to Bethlehem. And they, you know, anybody seen a baby around here? And I heard it's in a, in a manger. And people are like, no one would ever put a baby in a manger. Well, there's one here somewhere. We're going to find him. And lo and behold, they come to Mary and Joseph. And they look into that, into that manger. And there is Jesus. And imagine with me that wrapped around his little toe is a little note And on that note, it says, from God for you. Would your heart open to receive a gift from God like this? Could you set aside all of that, well, now I gotta give him something because he gave me something because that's a transaction. Can you set all that aside and look at a Savior, a Christ, and a Lord, and for those words of the angels to to resonate even today. Jesus is still God's grace gift to us for all who will place their faith and trust in Jesus as not, trusting in Jesus as a baby doesn't save you. Even believing that he was the son of God in that manger doesn't save you. This has all to do with what this baby grew up and did, dying on the cross for our sins and our guilt, raised to conquer death. And now today, seated at the right hand of God, this child, indeed, Savior Christ and Lord, can you put your faith and trust in him? Can you receive a gift? You know, most of us are good at receiving gifts, aren't we? Not everybody's a great gift giver, but we're all great gift receivers. And that same receiving of a gift is what is required to become a follower of Jesus, a child of God, for the great words of the Apostle John to be true for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. The whole gospel is seen right there in the sky and in the words of those angels about who Jesus is. Have you received him by faith? What better year than 2020 to realize that we are not sufficient for these things, that I am not the center of the world. Indeed, we need a Savior. And may this be the year, this be the month, maybe today's the day that you bow the knee of your heart, that you trust and believe in Jesus as Savior Christ and Lord of your life, 
and that you receive this gift from God. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. All glory be to him. Amen. Amen.